Thanks for joining us on the Oasis Church Podcast. To find out more about Oasis, visit CelebrateTheJourney.org. During this episode, Pastor Dennis Ritchie shares a great message that will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up a Bible, grab a notebook, or simply listen along. So we got a little video this morning. We got volume up, lights off. All right. Ready? Well, well, I've been reading poetry that don't even rhyme. And I've been sending flowers when it isn't Valentine's. I answer my phone when it rings. Love makes you do crazy things. I'm making reservations instead of tuna from a can. I threw away my boxes of Stouffer's Hungry Man. I comb my hair, I cook, and I clean. And I look good, too. Love makes you do crazy things. Love makes you do crazy things like... Learn how to play guitar and sing. I've watched every movie starring Ryan Gosling. Love makes you do crazy things like buy scented candles. Love makes you do crazy things. You're welcome for putting that song in your head for the rest of the day. People have done some very crazy things for love. Oh, wait, I didn't pray, did I? Father, even though we prayed, I feel, I feel naked without asking now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Okay, I feel better now. Um, people have done crazy things throughout history for love. I bet you there's a few stories right in this room of some crazy things uh, that you might have done. And it just seems that love can make you think differently than, than you normally do, like, like dudes buying scented candles. Now, I, I feel the need to, uh, to confess and repent. Um, once I brought my mom and her friend to Yankee Candle and I liked it. <laughs> Whew, I feel better now. Um, and, and so it, it's, I mean, even worse, sometimes love will make you buy a caramel macchiato with skim milk and, and camel milk foam on top. And, and okay, maybe the camel milk is awesomely manly, but the rest of it is really girly. And, and, and so love can make you do crazy, crazy things. If you Google love makes you do crazy things, the stories that you will read um, from horribly sad to outrageously funny and everything in between. Um, throughout history, uh, this thing called love uh, makes people a little unstable at times, makes them change how they normally would act, makes them do things that they would not normally do. Now, we are following the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, uh, written by Dr. Luke, who wrote uh, Luke's Gospel, obviously, 
And uh, he is recording the birth of the church, this revolution of Jesus that has been going on for, for thousands of, of years now. And as we're uh, studying Paul, we're watching the ups and downs, we're understanding the ups and downs of his life. But what we understand about him, first of all, is this guy loved God. And he loved Christ, he loved the kingdom, um, and he loved people so much that he was willing to risk his life to preach the gospel. He was willing to risk his life, take chances, suffer consequences for sharing Jesus with people for the good of their eternal salvation. And there's this group of people that he especially loved, and they were his own brothers and sisters of the, of the Jewish nation. He loved them. So here he is. He fought. He endured. And ultimately, he died for the gospel. He gave everything for the work of the kingdom. He was so passionate about it that even when people that loved him and, and, and they were in intimate relationship with him would plead and beg with him, Paul, don't do it. Paul, reconsider. Don't go there. Don't speak to them. He wouldn't listen. He went. He was passionate about the calling of God on his life. He wasn't going to back down, and he wouldn't give in. Now, in all of that, this devout, holy man of Paul, um, he was not Jesus. That means that Paul was not perfect. There are stories in the New Testament um, of him getting angry. Uh, there's a story about him defending himself uh, verbally when accused, which is something interesting. We're actually going to look at that next week. But Paul made mistakes. In fact, there are some scholars that believe that Acts 21, chapter 21, verse 17, through Acts 22, verse 29, is an example of the, um, the mistakes that Paul, or a mistake that, that Paul would make. Now, whether you uh, fall in the camp of he oops or not, um, what we know is, and the point is, that this guy... Uh, not being perfect, but being human, loved and de loved people, loved God, and devoted himself to the calling of God on his life. He was determined not only to bring the message of Jesus to the Gentiles, but also to the Jews. And so the story we're going to look at today of Paul um, some would think that he has engaged in some questionable, be questionable behavior for um, what he has preached in the past. So we're just going to get right into it. Uh, chapter 21, starting verse 17. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. So Paul, as his M.O. is, he goes to a new city, town. He's looking for the brothers and sisters. He chats with them. Now he's in, uh, he's in Jerusalem, and so he goes to the elders. Uh, they believe that there's probably about 70 elders uh, in kind of in step with the Sanhedrin, which is a Jewish 
religious ruling um, class of people, kind of uh, the Jewish Christian church um, mirroring the, the Jewish traditions. And so he goes in front of them. Uh, James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus, is in charge, and we know that he was a very devout man. Devout man. History would say that his knees looked like the knees of camels because he was always on them and always praying. And so Paul is sharing in detail what God has been doing in his ministry. Uh, all, of the, all of the ups, I'm sure, and all of the downs, like the riot in Ephesus when Christians decided to change their life so dramatically, so drastically, that it uh, affected the economy and people were angry because they weren't making so much money anymore because of the Christians. And all of the other stories that we have looked at in the book of Acts, he is he is speaking, you know, how, how the Holy Spirit is coming upon the Gentiles and they're prophesying and they're speaking in tongues that God is not playing favorites between Jew and Gentile, but he's pouring out his spirit on, on everyone. But there's something else that's taking place in Jerusalem that Luke doesn't record. And this is Paul bringing a offering that was collected from the Gentile churches to the church in Jerusalem, which was a very poor church. And, um, and so being that this is a Jewish Christian environment and this offering was collected from the Gentiles, Paul is a little worried that it might not be received. In fact, in Romans chapter 15, he asks the church, pray for this uh, offering to be accepted, to be received in the spirit for which it was given. And the reason why Paul is a little nervous that this, the church isn't going to accept the offering is because the church in Jerusalem is turning more and more um, legalistic in their Jewish traditions. They are becoming legalistic with the law of Moses. And Paul's desire is to bring these supposedly two separate Christian communities, churches, together to take the Jewish church take the Gentile church and just make one church in God under Christ. And so um, we know that uh, the elders accepted the offer, but I have to imagine what they said next to Paul might have caught him a little bit, just a little bit off guard. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed believed in Jesus, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So it's gone from, woo, we just got all this money. They accepted the offering from the Gentile church to, uh-oh, there seems to be some rumors, some lies that are being perpetrated within thousands of Jewish converts that Paul is teaching. Forget about Moses. There is something different going on. Thousands of believers that are zealous for the law of Moses. And, and, the, and somehow this, this gossip, these rumors... Um, they have been spread 
like, like a wildfire. In fact, Proverbs uh, chapter 18 and verse 8, it says that the words of a gossip uh, are like choice morsels. They go down to the inward depths. That means that everybody loves a juicy story and are willing to, to tell it and retell it and retell it. Now, I'm going to show you a little something here. And if you've seen this before, shh. And if you haven't seen this before, shh. So, um, Mallory, would you do me a favor? Would you squeeze? I'm going to... No. I'm going to squeeze this all into your hand. No. Gross. Would you squeeze all of this too? Oh, it smells good. It is minty. Would you squeeze all of this toothpaste into this paper plate? Nice. Oh, look at that. You brush your teeth often, huh? You do that well. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, she did. Do you use mouthwash too? Okay, just checking. No tablet. No tablet. All right, that, that's enough, I think. Harder than it looks. There's more. There's more. All right, so here we have toothpaste. And here we have the toothpaste now in a plate. Now, Jared, would you do me a favor? And would you put the toothpaste back in the tube? Well, just go ahead. No, no, no. no. It's not going to go. All right, well, that's good. Um, Jared said it's not going to go. He's a pretty big guy, so I'm going to take his word for it. He's got tattoos, too, which means he's cool. See, the reality is the toothpaste isn't going to go back into the tube. See, once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's really difficult to put it back into the tube. And it's the same way with our words. Once they leave our mouth, you can't put them back in. And yes, we may want to try to clean up the mess a little bit, but we never will completely clean up the mess that our words can make or the pain that our words can cause. Once they leave the mouth, they are out there. And we Christians need to remember that, that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So the little stories you might want to tell about that person or this person, the little, uh, you know, the um, embellishment on what you think they saw them do, um, those things are damaging because you can never fully take them back. In fact, in the book of James, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, he says that the tongue, uh, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. And that we have to watch the words that we say. We have to control our tongue. And so it seems that in Jerusalem, in the church, what may have started as a, hey, did you hear about Paul? Hey, did you hear about Paul? Spread to thousands of people. They've heard that Paul is teaching that the law of Moses is worthless, which he would never teach. He would teach that we are no longer under the law, but grace, but it was never worthless. Paul is experiencing the direct results of, of evil in the church, in Jerusalem, in a church that has becoming more and more legalistic about following the law. See, they've, they've always had this, this, uh, 
this challenge with it. Because remember when Peter came back from when he visited uh, the house of Cornelius, a, a Gentile. I mean, he walks in the house and he says, you know, I really shouldn't even be here because the law said that Jews don't eat with Gentiles. They don't even go into the same house. And they, they felt some tension with that. They had to talk him down off the cliff. Uh, they felt some tension about the Samaritans. Oh my goodness, not the Samaritans hearing the gospel and responding and receiving Jesus. And notice again in verse 20, it says that, brother, how many thousands of Jews have not only believed in Jesus, but are zealous for the law. I think, I think if they were making t-shirts in the Jerusalem church, on the front it would say, I've been saved by grace. And then on the back of the t-shirt it would say, and it's the law that keeps me saved. That's the, that's the mentality, that's the thought process that the church is going through. And so it was a prejudiced church. It was a compromising church. And it was also a gossiping church. And those components make it a very dangerous church. And see, the problem is there are Christians and churches like that today in, in our world. Christians that won't think twice about socializing with somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus. They just, they just don't want anything to do with them because, because everything they say or do, it, it offends them. Those non-believers, they use, they use potty words and they go to potty places and, and they take selfies of themselves where? In the potty. And so obviously we cannot associate ourselves with them. Ew. Well, I'm so happy that the guy who led me to Christ, Earl, uh, he was willing to put up with a foul-mouthed mechanic and not avoid me, but pray for me. In fact, uh, I became friends with him on Facebook, and he's retiring uh, next month in March, and he's going to come visit us. And so I'm very excited. I haven't seen him in 20 years, maybe even longer than that. And so uh, it'll be a popping circumstance on that day when, when he comes. But I digress. Anyway, um, and then you have, um, you know, the, the, the prejudice and the compromising in the context of, of church worlds. And we like to, like to kind of hide it a little bit in church world because we don't want to outright gossip. Because most of us know, if you've been in the church at all, if you've read the Bible even a little bit, you know that gossip is not a good thing. And so we don't spread gossip. We spread prayer requests. And so we can get the juicy stuff. Hey, listen, I don't... It's not that I want to gossip. I want to know how I can pray for them. And we hear the stories. We have an irresistible message of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and power. And, I, and it seems to me at this time uh, than any other time in history, the church seems to be resistible. How can a body of people have a irresistible message. Look at thousands of people in the beginning were coming to know Christ. But what happened that we've become so resistible? It's not the message that has changed. It's not love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, power. That hasn't gone away. That hasn't changed. I believe that we have become a little bit like the church in Jerusalem. We mix we mix the law with grace, which is like mixing oil and uh, oil and water. 
But that's a sermon for another day. So the elders of the church, um, they have this plan for Paul. So you got these thousands of people. They hear that he's here. Like, what are we going to do, man? Because there's, there's a lot of people that think that you are um, a heretic uh, talking against the law of Moses. And so they come up, they devise this little plan. So do what we tell you. This is the elders talking to Paul. There are four men with us who have made a vow. These men, join, take these men and join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. Well, not only are they asking him to, do, to take part in something that's going to cost him a lot of money, he's got to pay for the expenses, the sacrifices uh, for, for, these, for these men. Um, but they want Paul to publicly identify himself in Jerusalem as a good, devout Jew who comes under the law, that he is going to embrace the Jewish traditions, which really is just the form of, of religious politics. They're thinking to themselves, let's make Paul look like more of a Jew than, more of a practicing Jew than he really is. And this way our constituents, they're, they're, not, going to, uh, they're not going to get mad at us. Uh, they'll leave us alone. Everybody will be happy. Paul, we have done this for you. We have taken this offering from you, which, which from the Gentiles was a little sketchy at first. And now we would like you to do something for us. Sounds like we got a little bit of quid pro quo going on here in the Jewish church. Now, I imagine that for Paul, this whole idea was just like, oh, really? Like, you want me to do what? Because his message has always been it's grace and grace alone. Faith in Christ, God's grace, is salvation. And that keeps us saved. Nothing else is added. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So what does he do? Well, the next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. Paul submits to their request to put himself under the law to fulfill a Jewish tradition of purification Purification meaning that sins have been forgiven, mistakes have been made right through a traditional means that have been laid down for thousands of years um, in, in, the Jewish, in the Jewish culture. And so I, you have to come back and ask a question like, did Paul cave? Like, did he just completely give in? Is he, is he backsliding now uh, from his message that he's been preaching for years? Is Paul in sin. Huh. Remember, he was not a perfect guy. He wasn't Jesus. What I found um, interesting this past week in my study of, these, of this story is that scholars will land on both sides of the fence. No, he was not in sin. And yes, he absolutely was. And so those that land on the no, he wasn't side, all I can smell is toothpaste up here. Woo! Anybody got bad breath? Here you go. Those that land on the side that Paul is not in sin, they use 1 Corinthians 9. And this is what Paul would write to the church. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. 
to win the Jews. So those under the law became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. So those not having a law became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Sometimes love makes you do crazy things. His love for people, his love for the Jews, he would participate in things so that he could win his Jewish brothers and sisters to Christ, that they would come under God's grace and leave being burdened by the law, which the scripture teaches gives death. And grace in Christ bring life. But now the other side of the, the argument would say, no, th- there's more writings that would say, show that, that Paul is actually uh, going against his own words in his letter to the Galatian church. I'm astonished, he writes to them, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Old and new covenants joining, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse, as we have already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He's telling the church, like, like what, are you, what are you thinking? Who has fooled you? How can you possibly add the law to grace? Which he's calling this, this new gospel, this new message. It really is one or the other. And he talks about uh, later in, in, the, uh, in the letter how he opposed Peter. Remember, Peter did not want to eat with the Gentiles because there were other Jews around. And Paul gets in his face. Paul reads him the riot act, and he he stands against him. Eh. This is this, before the coming of this faith, he's talking about the law. I'm sorry, he's talking in relation to the law. We were held in custody under the law, locked up until that faith, faith in Christ, that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So this is the rationale behind, well, Paul, Paul is sinning. Paul is um, being a hypocrite right now because he first tells us that it's all about grace and we are no longer uh, condemned or coming under the law. We don't have to follow those things for the forgiveness of our sins. It's faith in Christ that we are forgiven of our sin. And he is pushing back against it um, by taking part in this uh, purification tradition that the Jerusalem Christians or the Jewish Christians want him to to take part in. He writes in the same letter, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, that he said that it's for Um, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery, he is um, 
he is, uh, he's linking it to the law. Well, and we know that he goes through it, pays the money, goes through the uh, purification, makes the Jews, the Jewish leaders happy. But what's interesting, <laughs> he, he paid into the priestly system that would ultimately call out for the crucifixion of Christ. He went to the very temple where on the day that Jesus died on the cross, the veil, the curtain between the Holy of Holies and the outside uh, room was, was split in two. God saying, you now have access to me in a whole new way. That you can come to and stand before the throne of grace. Walk right into the Holy of Holies. So is he right, Paul, or is he wrong? Did he sin, or is he becoming all things so that he can win some? It's a good question. It's not one I'm willing to answer. <laughs> uh, it's not one that I'm going to say, I agree this, I agree that. But it's still okay to ask, like, like, like why? Why is Paul willing to do this? Why is he willing to what seems to look like... Um, the watering down of his gospel message. Well, he writes to the Roman church in chapter 9, and he says this, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for Christ, from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. You see, sometimes love makes you do crazy things. Paul was willing to spend eternity in hell if the Jewish people would put their faith in Jesus and be saved. He was willing to be cut off from Christ, be under the curse of God. Now, we know that that can't happen but he was willing, and I believe these aren't just words for him. In Deep inside him, he was willing to give it all up so that his people would know Jesus. See, sometimes love it makes you do some crazy things. I also believe he did it because he wants to unify the churches. He wants one church under God in Christ. This idea of disunity in the church bothered him. But it's still prevalent today. Over and again, we see it's not that churches don't play well together. It's churches don't play at all together. And it's, and it's a, a problem. It's a problem for our witness I once had a conversation with, with a guy who, a uh, very devout Catholic, and um, he was, you know, he was ranking on the Protestant church. And uh, he wasn't saying very nice things, and, and it was all that I could do just to shut my mouth and, and bite my lip. And I'm glad I did, because what he was telling me was, you know, you, you Protestants, you argue over everything. 
you take the same verse and all the different, uh, all the different denominations, they all say something different about it or they interpret it in a different way and all your services are all different. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this in this church, but it's encouraged in the other one and you have, you have all of these differences. You say, when I go to a Catholic church, I, go, I can go to a Catholic church in Connecticut and uh, know how the service is going to play itself out, and that I can travel the entire United States and go and visit Catholic Church, and it's always going to be the same. The same doctrine, the same beliefs, the same prayers, which, okay, I get. But I thought, wow, he's right. Like, we, the Protestant Church, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Charismatics, the, um, the Baptists, uh, the non-denominational, that's who, who we are. Uh, we all seem to argue over doctrine and over the way to do church. And we don't do that, and we do this. And it hurts our witness to the rest of the world. It was an interesting conversation that made me think, huh, that's why I'm so grateful for the group of pastors that I meet with every week um, because there is no, uh, there is no competition uh, between, between the churches and we have worked together in the past and we will continue to do so in the future. And it's this, it's not, we're not just talking about unity, we're doing our best to live it in such a busy world. This is what Jesus would say about it. In John's Gospel, chapter 17 this is jesus praying he says my prayer is not for them alone i pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that's us that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and i am in you may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me i have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So that they may be brought together in complete unity. That's Paul's heart. And when the church finally gets there, Look what Jesus said. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The heart of Jesus, the heart of Paul, willing to sacrifice the, his reputation for the sake of bringing together, unifying the church. See, I'm hoping that love is going to make you do some crazy things. So really brief, and I guess I'm going to end with this. Um, there's some things that we can glean from Paul and, and his uh, engagement in this questionable um, behavior. And I think the first thing is we have to be careful. Um, we have to be careful that, that when we have this, when we're passionate about an opportunity for ministry, when we're passionate about the things of God and we're moving forward in what we believe that God's will is for us, and we have this myopic view of it, we're just honed in and focused. We have to be careful of acting in ways that um, are sinful or 
um, guard ourselves against making bad judgments. It's going to happen. It will happen. But it's good to be aware that it can happen and that you would really prayerfully consider what your next steps are going to be. I'm not judging Paul in any way, but I have seen how passionate, godly people make mistakes. They've made the wrong judgment. They've said the wrong thing. (laughs) I fall into that category many a time. I think another thing we have to watch for as we are passionate and and loving people into the kingdom, um, not to let other people's sins drag us into poor judgments or uh, poor decisions or even or even sin see paul would not have come under this pressure to make this decision to enter into this purification rite if the church leaders in jerusalem just shut down the stories really quick just never let them get out of hand when it was brought to their attention they could have made a a public address to say no We have talked with Paul, we know what he's doing, and he is not talking uh, heresy against the law of Moses. He is just uh, introducing people to Jesus. And we have said that the only thing we expect of the Gentiles is they don't eat food that has been strangled, or they don't eat food where there's blood in it, and stay away from sexual immorality. That's what we've asked them to do. Not trying to fulfill the law that we ourselves can't fulfill. If they would have went that route, maybe the story would have played itself out a little bit differently. And I think last, I'm going to leave you with this. Would you be willing to take some risks for the gospel? Would you be willing to look stupid, crazy, insane, I'm not talking about like this blatant disobedience to the word of God. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about the possibility of you getting it wrong. I'm talking about um, the possibility of you saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. Because of your heart for people who are perishing. Because your desire and passion is to fulfill the life that Jesus, that God has called you to. I read one theologian this week, he, he said, it, said it this way, there are some who they neither strive for sin nor sainthood. They just want to stay in the middle where it's comfortable, it's quiet, and there's no risk of getting it right, and there's no risk in getting it wrong because there's no risk at all. If you've never engaged the world for Jesus, I guarantee you will never make a mistake. Would you risk making a mistake for Jesus? Because even if your heart is in the right place and your desire is for the gospel to go forward, that people would come to a saving knowledge of Christ, if that's really the motivation, love is motivating you, even your oops, God will use for his glory. God will use it for his kingdom. Would you be willing to take a risk and let love make you do some crazy things? Like buy scented candles. I, I, I don't know. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the story. Thank you for the, the humanness of Paul. 
and that you've recorded it in your word and that we can learn from it. I pray for... Um, I pray for a church filled with risk takers that they would love much and that your word will go out to the world. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.